fancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on into the Wild West Showdown for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wild West Showdown. We've got a special guest with us this week, Mr. Stanley Swan. He's an undertaker, and he's going to be talking to us a little bit later what it was like to be an undertaker in the 1800s. But right now, I want to play you some original music. Here's Greg Sterling with his original song, Stony Ground. Said I see your wonder now I got this way Just a broke down cowboy headed for an early grave Well if you'll buy me a beer I'll give you some free advice Cause you know it's true I was just like you I see it in your eyes Don't run Don't run your horse on stone. 
sometimes it astounds me of all the talent we've got running around out there that hadn't hit the big times, as some call it. But let me say this. Each and every one of these young folks that we have on the Wild West Showdown are, in this old cowboy's opinion, just as good, or even better, for the lack of a better word, even better than the big guys. By now you know this old cowboy has his own publishing company, Outlaws Publishing. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, take a little trip over to Amazon and pick up a copy of J.R. Evers' book, Piper, the General's Daughter, and John D. Fye Jr.'s book, Blood on the Plains. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this old cowboy's asking you to go and buy them books so, so the publishing company will make some money. Well, you know, that wouldn't hurt none, but that's not it. That's not the real reason. The real reason is the bottom line is these books are great westerns by a couple of young authors, and I'm proud to be associated with them. How about you? Do you have a story in your mind? Or maybe you've already written a book and you're looking for a publisher. I would encourage you to take a look at outlawspublishing.com. Check us out. I'd like to hear from you. I went to a book signing in Tyler, Texas a couple of weeks ago, and I got to meet one of Outlaw's publishing authors, J.R. Evers, in person. You know, there's probably not a better feeling than sitting with another author that has the same interest as you. I really enjoyed the time that we had together. I also met a bunch of fine folks, authors and readers. I had a great time visiting with them and talking about my books. It was one of the largest events that this old cowboy's ever attended. There was over 104 authors there. Each week we interview authors, singers, and actors who are everyday people on the Wild West Showdown. Let me ask you this question. How would you like to be a guest on the show? I know how you can make that happen. Send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com. That's jc at outlawspublishing.com. Tell me what you'd like to talk about on the show. I'd be more than happy to listen to you. My producer suggested we add a new segment to the show called Grandpa's Gripes. I fussed with him. I tried to convince him that you, the listening audience, wouldn't be interested. But you know how producers are. So I told him we'd ask you, the listening audience, what you thought about it. It's basically some things that this old cowboy don't like in this old world of ours. I want you, no, I need you to tell me what you think about this new segment. If you like it, then let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. JC at outlawspublishing.com. And feel free to send in your own gripes, and I'll read them on the show. So here goes. I don't smoke. I never have. I don't really like to be around a smoker. But I sure don't like the government telling folks where they can smoke and can't smoke. Then on the other side of that, I can't understand the person that smoked for 40 years, and now they're suing the tobacco company because they've got lung cancer. Nobody made you smoke, dummy. Ten items or less. You know what that is, don't you? You've got 11 items in your cart, so you don't go in the express lane, even though there's no one in it. You have to follow the rules. So you slide in behind the 15 people in the shortest line. You're standing patiently reading one of the gossip magazines and glance over at the express line. Every cart there is filled to capacity. What happened to the rules, or do they only apply to you? What do you think about people using coupons in the checkout line? You have three items in your cart, and you've been patiently waiting while the lady with enough items to feed an army is putting the last item on the counter. Finally, I'll be able to check out with my three items. The lady opens her purse and pulls out a big stack of coupons. You know, I never could understand the men where I worked for many years. They'd have pictures of their family, pictures of their little babies in their toolbox. 
right beside those pictures of those beautiful babies would be pictures of naked women. How about the weatherman? Does the weatherman go to sleep at night with a clear conscience after telling lies all day long? How about those gripes? You know, I've been around for quite a few years, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of my gripes. If you got something that you don't like, something you want to moan and groan about, then send that email, jc at outlawspublishing.com, and I'll read those gripes on there for you. We'll both get a little satisfaction out of letting people know how we feel. This week we're interviewing Stanley Swan, an undertaker and an author. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown, Mr. Stanley Swan. We're so glad to have you with us today on the Wild West Showdown. A lot of folks think that being an undertaker is kind of a morbid occupation. What do you got to say to that? Well, for a lot of people, I guess if you mention the word undertaker, a funeral director, it would uh, bring up maybe a dark light as opposed to a, a positive experience. But uh, I think for those of us who uh, spend time in the business, we find it very satisfying work uh, to be able to help people in a very, very difficult situation. So you're helping more than the uh, deceased here in this occupation, aren't you? Yeah, you really are. Most of the time spent when you have a death, uh, a family calls you. There is some time spent with a deceased, of course, in preparing the body for whatever the family would want done. But the majority of the time you're spending with the family, the survivors, meeting with them, making the arrangements, spending time for calling hours and a funeral and, and a burial or a cremation. And the average, I think now, I think I've read somewhere, a funeral director spends around 40 to 60 hours per death call. That's from the time that the phone rings until after the paperwork might be done post-funeral. So there's a lot of hours involved, and most of it's with the survivors. In the cowboy days, in the 1800s, undertakers, I understand, were carpenters or doctors. Is there any truth to that? Yep, yep. Things were, uh, I wasn't around to speak one-on-one <laughs> -on -one about it. Jeez. Yeah, years ago, back in the 1800s, back in the cowboy days, as we call them, the days of the Wild West, uh, undertakers were uh, just people that either owned a, a, a furniture store or a carpentry business, and they indeed would actually uh, make the casket coffins, they called them back then, uh, to actually bury people. There very little embalming back in the cowboy days. Yep, the uh, furniture people were in the casket business back then, and some business around the country today still sport uh, combination furniture, doors, and funeral businesses. There's still some around the country today. What was the life expectancy in the 1800s? Uh, 1800s, around age 37. Well, that sounds young, doesn't it? I, it does, yes. Where people are living longer today with all the science and technology we have. Uh, if you go to old cemeteries and walk around at Busman's Holiday, I call it, when I do the same thing, walk through an old cemetery and look at some of those old stones that were set, markers back from the late 1800s, and you'll be shocked at the, the young age of so many people that they just died prematurely back then. If you were to guess, or, you, or maybe you know, what, what did the majority of the people die of? What disease did they die from? A lot of it back then, uh, they called it consumption. I think today that's referred to as cancer, but, but consumption, uh, a lot of people didn't eat well, as you know, back in the cowboy days, early West mm -hmm. days, old West days, and uh, that was the day before vaccinations. And I know in my own family, my great-grandfather was one of five children, and he was the only one that survived in the late 1800s. His, his four siblings all died of fever all before the age of five. And um, 
they had very little to deal with back then. They used quinine for fever. It was before the days of penicillin. If you got lockjaw back then, there was a good chance you'd die. A lot of people just died because of no vaccinations. And if you were injured on a ranch or shot, infection would soon take over. And uh, usually within two days, you were deceased. The movies lead us to think there was more people died of gunshot than anything else. What, what do you got to say about that? I think that was probably true back then. Uh, the days are pretty accurate. If you look back and read some of the stories of, of the Tucson and the Arizona and the Colorado days of the Cowboys and the Indians, I mean, we're living, they were living in really, really trying times back then. Riding horses and buckboards and going across the prairies fighting Indians and the weather and the lack of food. And it didn't take much of an injury to succumb to those injuries. And guns did prevail in, in the Wild West, as you know. Everyone wore a gun back then, and there were a lot of shootings. They kept a, a lot of undertakers busy back then. Also in the movies, the, the undertaker's pictured as a tall, thin, greedy man dressed <laughs> all in black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm tall, but not quite as thin as those guys used okay. to be. And uh, that that was the look back then. The Undertaker was tall and thin and had maybe a little wiry mustache and a little goatee and a dark hat and, and the dark clothes on. And that was the look. That was the look he had. Okay, how much did a coffin cost? Well, we've come a long way since the old days. Uh, back in the 1800s, 1850s, specifically in the 1860s, when those caskets were sold in furniture stores or made by carpenters back then. The average wood casket that would have been made of maple or pine or ash, a wood casket was about, believe it or not, $2. And if you wanted to move up to a metal casket, they had a metal casket that was made of cast iron. It was called a Fisk, F-I-S-K, a Fisk casket. And that cast iron casket cost you about $100. So if you were well-to-do back then, could afford to move up, you could go from $2 to 100 in a blink of an eye. I read someplace where Wild Bill Hecock, his casket cost $50. What do you think it was made of? $50, it was probably, I'm guessing, high-end oak or cherry, I'm guessing. The higher hardwoods usually cost more money, as they do today. Cherry casket today, you could spend $3,000 on it and up. A mahogany casket today, four, five, six thousand $6,000. If you wanted a black walnut casket today, you'd be spending five to $6,000. Insane, isn't it? Times have changed, haven't they? <laughs> they sure have. The good, old, the good old days are over with. Things were very simple back then. How long before a body begins to decay or de decompose? Soon after death, especially in the Wild West days where you were in the heat of 80 or 90 degrees out in the desert, within hours you'd start decaying. There was really no way to preserve bodies back then. They didn't do a lot of embalming until the turn of the century, the 20th century. That would be about 1900. They did some before that, but very little, and the bodies were usually bathed and dressed and casketed within hours after death and usually buried within the 24 or 48 hours because in the heat, a body that's not embalmed would start to decompose very quickly. The majority of funerals were held in homes, is that correct? Yeah, a majority of uh, people years ago who passed away had uh, had their uh, their wake, they call it, the calling hours, right in their family home. And that was before the, uh, the undertakers actually built a funeral parlor. Okay, you mentioned that embalming didn't start until the turn of the century. What did they use for embalming in the 1800s? Pretty rugged stuff. Dr. Thomas Holmes, father of embalming, did a lot of experimental embalming during the Civil War. 
He was a chemist. I believe he was from New York City. Did a lot of experimentation, different chemicals to preserve the body. The records show that he actually embalmed over 4,000 people who had been killed during the Civil War. Those fluids were pretty stringent back then. They had ingredients like arsenic and lead and zinc. All those were really, really dangerous chemicals. By 19, I believe, 06 was the year most all of those chemicals were removed. They had to be because they were just too dangerous to be around people. So they were replaced by what they call formalin in water, which is fancy name for formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is still the standard today. I read someplace where a woman put her husband's body in a vat of whiskey to carry it across country. Would that would that preserve the body? It would to some degree because of okay. the alcohol. Alcohol was used as an anti-decay agent years ago. Back in even the, as late as the 1930s, the 1920s, uh, a body that wasn't embalmed would be uh, placed on what they call a cooling board and would put on top of ice. The ice would actually chill the body down to, uh, to arrest the decomposition. Did they really put bodies on display? They did. And you can go on the Internet and Google that and see uh, some of the old photographs from the late 1800s, early 1900s, where a person, they would actually have the person standing in the casket, laid in the casket. They would put the casket on end and have the family gather around the casket for the, what they call the final picture or two. And uh, I've actually seen several of those in hand, the old black and white pictures taken of a, of a man or a woman in a casket. We still have that today. It, it's kind of a, a weird request, but even in the last few years before I retired, I had families who wanted to come in and take pictures of a person in a casket or stand near the casket and be photographed. A lot of people think this is the last picture I'll ever have of the person, and uh, it would be natural that that might be the last picture that goes in the scrapbook. I understand some of these more famous people that died were in sideshows. How did they preserve the body for a sideshow circus? Those bodies would have actually been uh, really embalmed well. They would not have been able to keep a body for any kind of transport or a long period of time without a really good embalming job. So those bodies were embalmed. So if I went to a sideshow that said it had Billy the Kid's body or Jesse James' body, it probably wouldn't be true. Probably would not be. You'd want to see some verification, some, some paperwork on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about, is it an old wives' tale, or is it true that a person's hair and fingernails continue to grow after death? As soon as the heart stops, your circulation stops, the blood stops moving through your body, and those tissues uh, are not receiving any oxygenated blood, and they have to have that in order to keep growing. So within a few hours, all the tissues in the body become deceased. Yeah, the stories about the old hair and nails growing uh, are fabrication because just it doesn't happen. As soon as the heart stops, you, you, within hours you are decomposing. What about mirrors and dead people? Probably what you might be referring to is it used to be called a test for death. A funeral director is required to perform a test for death at his funeral home before he starts embalming a body. And some of the old tests for death years ago, there were several tests for death. One was to place a bowl of water on the chest of the deceased to see if the water rippled at all for, for movement of the, of the chest. Yes. They, would, they would hold a mirror up under the nose around the mouth to see if there was any fogging of the mirror. That would indicate that a person had some kind of respiration. 
coffin lids were screwed down tightly, I understand, because people had a fear of uh, being buried alive and trying to get out. There was a, a casket that was made back in the 1800s that was fastened down as such, and it had a wire that came out of the casket, and as the grave was filled, the wire would pass up through the dirt, and there was a bell was actually set on top of the grave. Uh, the thinking was, if this person was only comatose and was not actually dead and would actually come alive, they would pull the wire and ring the bell. <laughs> That's kind of a funny story. They actually made such a such a device way back when. Okay, your book, Undertakings of an Undertaker, True Stories of Being Laid to Rest, it's doing, doing fairly well on Amazon. How does that make you feel? I'm really pleased with it. The response from the book has been really, really good. I think because it, it runs the full gamut of the emotions. It, there's some serious stuff in there naturally, but there's a lot of funny stories. Uh, it's not a depressing book to read at all. I think anyone of any age can read it because there's nothing in there that's that's really volatile or, or, or bad in any way. And uh, I'm really pleased the book's doing very well. How can folks get in touch with you? Uh, the best bet is uh, write me at my uh, email address. I answer all my emails from around the country. It's, it's very simple. It's undertakings at inbox, I-N-B-O-X dot com. Hmm. Undertakings at inbox.com and uh, when I get mail I open it up I write to people around the country and uh, I love hearing from people it's fun to hear hear from people around the country everyone has a story or two about death in their family or questions and it's fun to talk to people do you have a Facebook Twitter and all of that social media I do they can uh, just on Facebook just go look for us Stanley Swan on Facebook and it calls me right up uh, I have a Twitter account I haven't really figured out how to use it yet I was still working on the typewriter a few short years ago. Uh, we're so glad that you've been our guest today on the Wild West Showdown, and uh, I want to give you a special invitation to come back and visit any time. Well, that's great, J.C. It's been a pleasure talking with your audience today. All right. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, J.C. Did you enjoy hearing about undertaking in the Wild Wild West? I found it to be very educational. Now, how about another song? Here's another very talented young man, Trent Holloway singing working man Play my songs when I could 
I'm play for free Somebody finally like me And they like the songs I play Now they pay me lots of money To do it their way Morning and my back hurts late at night And the paycheck that I get goes to my agent and ex-wife I take pills to wake me up And I take pills to help me sleep I got an ulcer in my stomach And the stress is killing me But if I could get on my big bus And drive so far away This life lays on me each and every day I'd sit and pick my guitar with a cold drink in my hand Oh Lord, I don't want to be a working man Yeah, if I could get up in my truck and drive so far away From the aches and pains this life lays on me each and every day I know there's a lot of singer-songwriters out there that'd like to have their music played on the Wild West Showdown. Just as soon as the show's over, why don't you send the old cowboy an email and let me know that you'd like us to play your music on the show. We just finished up one of my latest books on audio. The, the audio hadn't even been released to the market yet, so I, I thought I'd share with you a little bit of it. This is J. Rodney Turner narrating Does Nora Know? West Texas, 1875. Garnerville, Renfro County, Texas. It was a little afternoon on a Friday. I was really looking forward to a great weekend with Nora. I guess you could call her my fiancée. We've been going together for almost two years, and she's always hinting that we should tie the knot. Lately, she stopped hinting and started insisting. She's one of the finest women I've ever met, and she would make a good wife. I've been the sheriff of this small town for almost five years. I was appointed by the territorial judge, who happens to be a very good friend. The judge being a friend was the reason I was one of the youngest sheriffs ever appointed. Normally, the sheriff is elected by the citizens, but this town of Garnerville, Texas, was having a hard time locating someone to fill the office. So the judge stepped in and appointed me to the job, along with Harry Clements as my deputy. In this job, I have to travel quite a bit, and that's one of the reasons I'm not ready to settle down. Nora doesn't seem to understand my reasoning about this. I can't really blame her. As I said, I'm not too thrilled about settling down, but... She has been sticking with me through the good and the bad. I glanced up from her thoughts and I saw her, walking down the middle of the street. A little girl, rather small, not much more than five foot if she was that. As she got closer, I saw she was dressed in a plain cotton dress that looked a size too small. And the little bit of hair sticking out from under her floppy hat was the color of corn husks. As she came closer, I saw her green eyes, the color of fresh spring grass, was looking at me with a lost puppy look. 
She looked so mournful it was all I could do to keep from wrapping my arms around her. But I needed to remember Nora. She was the one who owned my heart. I was only feeling pity for this young girl. Although, taking a closer look, the way she fills that dress tells me she ain't no little girl, not no more. What's your name, honey? She pushed her floppy hat back and looked up at me. It sure ain't honey. It's Rachel McConnell. What's yours? Lincoln Rhymes. Where about you headed, Miss Rachel McConnell? It is, miss, isn't it? Of course it is, she said emphatically. I ain't never getting married. I ain't headed no place in particular, just heading down the road. Wherever it takes me, that's where I'm headed. Where are you coming from? I asked. You sure ask a lot of questions, even for a law dog, indicating the badge on my vest. I asked where you're coming from, ignoring her remark. Back yonder a ways. She nodded her head back where she came from. Where's back yonder? No place, really. I'm trying real hard to forget about there, if you don't mind. I don't reckon I mind. Everybody's got something they want to put behind them. Just at that moment, I heard her stomach growl. You want to get something to eat? I asked. I ain't got no money to buy nothing, she exclaimed. How about I buy? I can't let you do that. Why not? We ain't been properly introduced, she said. My mom always told me to stay away from strangers. Well, I told you my name and you told me yours. Sounds like we ain't exactly strangers, does it? I reckon you're right, she said, shaking her head. Okay, I'll let you buy me something to eat. Great. Now, if that don't whet your appetite a little bit, there might be something wrong with you. You might need to check your heartbeat. You can find that, uh, well, you can't find it yet because it hadn't been released yet. Just as soon as it's released, though, I'll let you know about it, and you can go to Amazon and get you a copy of it. Not going to cost much now because it's a short story. I think J. Rodney Turner does a fantastic job. I'd like to close out the show by telling each one of you how much I appreciate you tuning in each week. If you haven't told your friends about the Wild West Show, that I would ask this. Why haven't you? You know the quickest way to double your money? is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. We want to give a special thank you to Stanley Swan for being the guest on the show today. We want to give another thank you to Greg Sterling and Trent Holloway for their great music. I want to encourage you to tune in each and every week for the Wild West Showdown. This is the old cowboy, J.C. Hulsey, saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey.